The views shared in this podcast are independent of any organization affiliation. In light of the global COVID-19 pandemic, our guests are located all over the country, so the quality of sound may vary. Please excuse any background noise. Thank you. Welcome back to M&A. Here's the deal, where we talk about the latest trends and happenings in the M&A landscape. Whether you are aspiring financiers, M&A enthusiasts, or seasoned M&A veterans, we hope to share perspectives that you will find insightful. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast to catch all our latest episodes. On this episode of M&A Here's the Deal, we will discuss a number of scenario impacts that the upcoming U.S. election could have on the domestic and global economy, alongside what this means for M&A. This episode is hosted by Mukhtar Ahmed, and our guests today are Brad Eckert and Christina Kachanuskaya. Thank you to our executive and creative directors, Anton Razidkin, Will Haitman, and Vedika Bhatia for their support in producing the show. Now, Mac, over to you. All right, welcome everybody to yet another episode of the uh, Here's the Deal podcast. We are really excited to bring some perspectives to you as we uh, go into the election um, election for the U.S. president uh, starting in 2021. So really exciting times, and I think we are expecting to see a lot of impact economically and from an M&A perspective, regardless of who wins. I am Muqtadar Ahmed, uh, or Mac. Um, I am the host of this podcast. Um, special thanks to Anton, Will, and Vedika, who helped uh, coordinate this p- uh, podcast. And today with us, we've got an esteemed set of guests. Um, I think some of, you, some of these guests you probably heard previously from, and we've got uh, also some new guests. So with that, I'll uh, give a quick chance for everybody to introduce themselves. Thanks, Mac. Yeah, my name is uh, Brad Eckert. I am a corporate development officer for a privately owned manufacturing company located in the upper Midwest with uh, primary op- operations in Wisconsin and the surrounding area. Um, so my name is Christina. I uh, work for a Japanese bank in the M&A financing group. And what we do, we provide financing for uh, large cap M&A transactions and financial sponsor deals. Hello, everyone. My name is Anton Rasitkin, and I work in mergers and acquisitions within financial services and payments, primarily on the East Coast. So jumping right in, I think, uh, uh, how's everybody feeling about the elections? Yeah, I'll jump in, Mac. Yeah, I think uh, like everybody, there's there's a lot of awful lot of uh, unknowns going into it. I think with most of the polling showing that a number of the key states are still within a margin of error. Um, I think uh, folks are not only anticipating Tuesday um, quite a bit, but uh, probably looking potentially at three, four days, if not a week, post that to get some true clarity on where it's going. So. Um, I think as we're closing in on it, both the market is demonstrating uh, some of that uncertainty. And uh, from my perspective as a corporate development officer, um, I'm almost a little shocked at the amount of activity that I've personally been involved with over the past week with potential sellers uh, coming coming to the table and looking uh, to get something done. And I, I have to think that that's a bit reflective of some of the uh, the angst and some of the uh, anxiety that is being brought upon by the uh, upcoming election. That's really great perspective, Brad. Uh, is there uh, is there some thinking, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it, on what may be driving more sellers to try to uh, at least get the deals going right now? 
Um, the folks that I've personally spoken with, um, it's a bit twofold. Um, one, I think a lot of folks are just kind of tired of dealing with some of the uncertainty that's involved. And I think um, the folks that are older uh, that are looking to sell, some of the more seasoned um, company owners are looking to get out, per perhaps leaning a little bit more towards the anticipation that it's going to be a bit of a, a blue wave with the uh, with the Democrats taking over both the, the White House and both the Senate and the House and thinking that, hey, maybe now might be the time to try and capture the gains from the business um, and then just not have to deal with the potential new tax environment. Um, I also think there are some other folks that um, are just uh, a little tired in general, both with the the business climate, with the COVID climate, especially uh, the stress that the COVID has brought about. I think for a number of months, some of these folks were were okay dealing with the overall situation, but at the end of the day, um, just knowing what it's going to take to succeed in the next year or two for those those more challenged companies, I think that's what's really driving some folks to think about um, you know potentially selling and, and not having to deal with some of those headaches and and just taking some of the gains and then maybe looking at uh, another opportunity down the road, but uh, really looking to get out of the stressful environment that they're in right now and that they anticipate they'll be in for another year or two. That's great perspective, Brad. Christina, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I actually, um, I, th I think we see very similar environment on my side. So as part of the M&A financing group, we do feel like a big difference in the M&A activity picking up just recently. So I don't know if it's also similar for Brad. So for us, we literally almost shut down for a couple of months, like when the COVID started, when everybody was just kind of in the wait and see mode. And with, with the election coming up, we have a ton of clients just trying to rush and uh, try to close the deals like through the first quarter of 2021. Like you said, because of all this uncertainty around the tax implications and um, other things that they don't want to be kind of uh, be worrying about. So definitely a lot of activity right now, a lot of rushing and I'm currently, and I don't think we've ever been as busy as uh, right now, like in the past two years. That's great. I think that's been pretty consistent with the experience I've seen. In fact, this may be one of the the hottest uh, market for M&A in the financial services space, some of the biggest deals going on right now. So, all right, let's get started with uh, what's at stake here. Uh, so I think given we focus on, on the market, uh, the deal market particularly, um, and I think what sentiment may be driving the outcome of this election, uh, given this political environment, uh, what economic policies and themes do you foresee having the, the greatest impact on M&A? You know, uh, similar to what others have already said, you know, I, I think the current political environment, I would say probably since the beginning of the year, um, resulted in a lot of uncertainty, you know, stemming from COVID-19, of course, um, but also, you know, approach to healthcare, taxes, stimulus. And, you know, I think this can be seen um, as M&A plummeted not only in the U.S., but over the, the world. And I think that even with that, it is rather telling that, you know, United States actually lost its number one spot uh, in M&A markets to China, actually. However, it is interesting to notice that, you know, the M&A markets that slumped in Q2 are now kind of coming back 
coming back roaring, I would say. And of course, this a lot of it is driven by the fact that consumer spending has increased as well as historically low interest rates and cheaper debt, as well as people coming to terms probably with not the new normal, I would say, but um, learning to live with the, the times of COVID. And from my perspective, Mac, um, I do think the the tax policies regarding the potential tax policies should should Biden get into office? Should it be a Democratic sweep? Should the tax implications become a reality? I do think that will drive, um, number one, I, I think it's going to lessen investment uh, quite a bit, particularly if some of the accelerated depreciation uh, rules could come into play. Um, I, I definitely think folks in the interim before tax changes are able to come into place is going to drive some folks to go ahead and take take gains, uh, go ahead and sell early on. Um, I think right now, from what I'm seeing, you know, there's clearly very active market um, for over the past year. Uh, people are still commanding fairly high uh, valuations, even in the manufacturing sector from what we're seeing. Um, I think there's enough money chasing deals that, that deals will get done. But um, should the tax um, changes come into place that I think uh, some folks think could happen if there's a democratic sweep. Um, I definitely think after 2021, you will definitely see a drop off in activity uh, on both sides, because I think a lot of the money is going to try and chase the deals that are available while people are available to sell, uh, because I think the supply will likely dry up after this coming year, should the tax uh, laws get changed. Great. Thank you. Thank you for those perspectives. All right, then uh, I think on to uh, understanding where we think the impact would be, I think, driven by the outcome of the election. What industries or sectors do we think could be the most impacted by the election? And uh, how would the M&A environment in those sectors change subsequent to the election? You know, I think there are obvious industries that are really heavily impacted by elections. You know, I'm, there's been a lot of talk about breaking up tech giants so if Democrats win, maybe even if Republicans win, there is a chance that we will see, you know, spinoffs or carve outs as, you know, the big tech companies are breaking up into smaller ones. Another, I think, big difference between both parties is their approach to tax and trade policy. In particular, I'm talking about potential of decreasing international tensions with China as at least decreasing from where they currently are. Additionally, heavier regulation of financial industry will also slow down possible M&A activity. For example, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts introduced a Stop Wall Street Looting Act back in 2019. So if a bill like that becomes law, that would significantly limit um, activity of private equity companies. And this is Brad. I'll jump in again, just uh, from recent conversations that I've had with some business owners. Again, I think if some of these tax laws or if all of the tax laws get enacted that the, uh, that the Democrats have been proposing, um, I do think the manufacturing sector, um, particularly uh, kind of your historical manufacturing, um, domestic parts, uh, suppliers to OEMs and whatnot, uh, and the smaller manufacturers especially are going to be very, very heavily impacted by the tax laws, both with the impact to the personal income of small business owners, um, as well as the impact to some of the accounting changes. 
uh, particularly with the accelerated depreciation. Um, it's going to make manufacturers much more hesitant to, to invest in new equipment, given the burden that's going to be placed upon them from a tax perspective. Um, and I think from an estate planning perspective as well, that that will impact, you know, a number of industries, but, but again, particularly manufacturing that I'm exposed to uh, each and every day. Great. Thanks. Thanks for those perspective, Brad. And I think obviously a lot of it's hinged and I think there's some presumption that this is going to be um, an outcome that's favorable to the, to the democratic uh, side. But um, in an outcome that may not be a full sweep, as you're describing at the beginning, Brad, it may be a partial uh, sweep where um, the control of one of the houses of Congress uh, rests with the other party. How do you think the dynamic will change? From uh, from my perspective, I mean, obviously, if you have a, a split Senate and Congress, that's going to uh, limit the amount of impact that uh, you know. If there is a change in the, in the White House, that can uh, that can happen. Um, so I think from that, uh, in my opinion, a a split Congress would would likely be more beneficial, particularly in the manufacturing sector, um, than than it would be if it's uh, fully controlled by by the Democrats, um, again, just my, my personal opinion there. Um, I do think that um, there are industries that would stand to benefit from, uh, from a full sweep, but I think at the end of the day, um, an inability to get major legislation changed would probably be um, war- more warmly ex- um, uh, appreciated or received by business in general than a than a full full sweep. Although I do think there are some industries, um, environmental um, based concerns, um, perhaps even some tech technology uh, type type of companies that might benefit no matter what. But I do think a, a split Congress is likely to be more more welcomed by business in general than a sweep. Great. Thank you for those perspectives, Brad. So I think as we think and maybe step back a bit, obviously there's a lot of factors driving this election and uh, pandemic has uh, kind of everybody uh, uh, thinking about how to actually get back to normal to some extent, right? Being kind of foreshadowing everything this year. But how, how do we see, and I guess what do we see as some of the key factors that the broader uh, electoral base and the voters are thinking about for this election? What do they really care about? Probably two things here. First of all, the tax environment, right? So one of the most fundamental policy changes uh, would be, you know, to raise taxes, which we discussed. So Fed is proposing to to raise it from 21 to 28%. So it's kind of like half the the of um, the Trump administration. And again, there are a lot of, different implications from the tax perspective, we can discuss it more um, in more detail in the feminist MMA um, section. And then another part is probably, you know, sector regulation for big tech. So um, I think Biden raised this um, uh, multiple times, and I think they literally submitted, they very recently submitted this uh, report called investigation in digital markets competition is something similar, which pretty much would result in long investigation for a lot of big tech names, such as Apple, Amazon, Facebook, which are driving the markets, right? These are like the biggest 
um, participant in all the indexes and it would be really big international um, public markets of that would take place right and as well as like apart from the te uh, technology sector a lot of uh, impact would be in healthcare um, you know given again the regulation bias for from Democrats um, yeah another factor I guess is the fiscal spending initiative so both parties have been discussing the fiscal packet I think uh, Democrats have a little bigger it's like I think about three trillion compared to Republicans uh, suggested uh, something smaller than that but again the incremental impact I think would be the most uh, impactful from uh, Democrats win um, yeah I think these are kind of like the key things if you think about the key factors here and Christina, just a follow-up question, seeing as you have a unique perspective at looking at the election through the lens of working for an international company, what is your view on the current M&A landscape? Yeah, well, so what I've uh, kind of mentioned before is that there was a huge dip in M&A activity uh, around COVID. And again, it's all very interdependent uh, here, COVID, presidential election, like geopolitical geopolitical tensions and everything so it's really hard to kind of disentangle and analyze the impact of each of these factors individually uh but i think uh, you know initially we had uh very little activity when you know with the COVID hit and then it's a gradual increase to super high activity right now and we we expect that to go on uh you know for the next few months um up until probably you know uh, first quarter of 2021 um, we you know we have like multiple deals coming in every week which we're looking at most of these are uh, super large cap type of transactions all right um, so I think now jumping on to kind of uh, uh, the impact and what we see uh, from a domestic perspective thinking about uh, Brad I think you talked a little bit about the Midwestern region how do you see, I guess, a U.S. company and companies in their M&A strategy varying by the different geographic region? Um, do we see more cross-region M&A potentially, for example? How do you think that may play out differently between sectors? I can't speak too much to to other sectors beyond manufacturing, but I definitely think the the impact from COVID um, is is a bit um, election independent in that I think a number of number of companies have recognized the need to have a bit more of a safety net regarding domestic manufacturing capability or at least from a, a supply perspective. So I do think that's going to impact some of the M&A activity that you see, if not domestically, uh, at least within North America or ensuring that uh, a supply chain is, is a bit bit more insulated um, from, from the global impact that you've seen from COVID. Um, it took quite a while for a number of, number of folks, different manufacturers to kind of make up for the fact that one, um, you know, COVID was striking different areas of the globe in different ways. Um, but at the end of the day, it definitely impacted uh, delivery, the opportunity for folks to get things in a timely manner. So I think from a supply chain perspective, uh, there will be some more M&A activity as, as manufacturers look to 
either secure a, a supply base or the supply base itself looks to um, shore up or ensure its own capabilities or their own capabilities by having more domestic um, you know, production capabilities or at least again North American be it Canada or Mexico and likely more more Mexico given the given the labor base uh, and the availability of manufacturing capability. Yeah, that's really interesting, Brad, because I think when we think about, I guess, more of the service-focused sectors, especially I think if we think about financial services, for example, uh, I think one big impact that COVID has resulted in is uh, kind of taking away the the regional focus to some extent. So I, I think just from a M&A perspective in that space, there's a broader trend towards more digitization and uh, you know trying to find ways to serve their customers regardless of where they're based. Uh, in a in a much more self service automated lower cost manner uh, and in a way that they would like to be serviced so with that in focus especially in the services industry i think there is a greater degree of now uh, openness to pursue um, M&A that may be uh, across geography and, and geography geography being lesser of a limitation i think in terms of that pursuit terrific as we get into 2021, post-elections, especially as we kind of uh, have seen, like you mentioned, some level of acceleration in the M&A um, activity, how do we think 2021 will shape up? Yeah, in, in my opinion, I think the activity is going to remain pretty strong for the first six months. Um, uh, again, a little bit dependent on the election shakeout. Um, I do think if it's a split Congress that that, that M&A activity will continue. I think, you know, as long as the market remains uh, as buoyant as it has been, there is a lot of money out there chasing deals. I mean, big deals, medium-sized deals, small deals. Um, and I think that that will continue. Um, but um, I do think that um, if the election does turn out um, to be more of a, a, a democratic control, I do think that... Uh, that you'll see activity start to taper off towards the end of the year once once uh, potential legislation is being able to get enhanced. Um, and depending on the timing of all of that, when it can be implemented or take place, um, you, you may see some serious drop off towards the end of the next year. But uh, again, if it's, a, if it's a split Congress, I think at the end of the day, activity will be strong uh, and I think it will continue to, to be strong. Uh, but I, I, I can't personally see 2022 being as frothy as 2020 and 2021 have been. Uh, and again, I, I, I do still go back, even though the question is you know, somewhat related to the election. I think the impact from COVID uh, and the potential overall impact on the economy itself, uh, unemployment, um, and, and just the the day-to-day -day business environment can't be taken for granted, I think that will have an impact. And I do think ultimately uh, the, the pace of M&A will, will slow down, especially going into 2022. But I do expect 2021 at the end of the day to, to remain fairly robust. Great. Thanks, Brad. So, Brad, since you kind of mentioned COVID and the impact of COVID, especially as we think about coming out of it, Obviously, the picture right now is pretty bleak in the U.S. The cases continue to uh, go up and uh, various states are, I think, in, in different levels of lockdown to try to control the case account and, you know, the resulting uh, deaths from COVID. How do you think, I guess, uh, 
COVID and I think the role uh, a, a COVID-related uh, treatment or cure or vaccine and the timing of it would play out in 2021, 20, uh, especially as we think about, you know, obviously the jobless claims were significantly elevated. They have uh, improved slightly, but a large, large part of it is due to the stimulus that was passed. Um, and, you know, I, we're coming to the tail end of most of that sm- stimulus money being used. As for the COVID-19 approach between the two party candidates, um, it couldn't be any more drastic. I'm sure as you know, everybody on the call seen or heard about it. And in fact, you know, this current election is in large part a referendum on the current president's approach to dealing with a pandemic. And, you know, that approach has involved a lot of either discrediting the virus or talking about the herd immunity, which, you know, added to more confusion. And, you know, I at the time of recording of this podcast, United States just hit 100,000 new cases per day, which is a terrible tragedy and an incredible cost on the country and on the people. So I think if the Democrats win, we can pro- probably expect them reviving the pandemic playbook and then working to pass the stimulus together with a vaccine will help to prop up the economy and hopefully get us on the way to a speedy recovery. If Republicans win, then, you know, I would expect the current approach to continue and, you know, the lack of transparency and, you know, contradiction between scientists and the White House will continue to disrupt and slow down the response. And I think that will make the recovery that much slower once the vaccine arrives. So it will just take longer for us to sort of go back to the old normal. Sure, I actually have some fairly strong feelings on this. I mean, there's certainly been a number of industries um, or sectors of of industries that have benefited here over the last few months um, as a result of COVID, uh, particularly those those sectors where dealing with um, outdoor activity. I know being based here in Wisconsin, uh, I'm personally aware of a number of a number of uh, different types of outdoor related businesses that have been wildly successful uh, above year over year that have benefited from the fact that you know people can't do take their vacations. They can't uh, do a lot of things that they would normally do or be spending their money on. So they're turning to outdoor activities. Uh, outdoor um, sports, uh, be it uh, lake equipment, um, you know, more motorcycles, ATVs and the like. Uh, those have all benefited from that. I, there are other um, industries um, related to home building. Uh, you know, home sales have been fairly robust in, in the home remodeling market uh, and the ancillary uh, areas associated with that, uh, things that people are buying to redo their homes, their, their kitchens with cabinets or bathrooms with cabinets, uh, flooring, those types of businesses have, have done you know, pretty well uh, in the COVID environment. Um, furniture sales have actually been pretty robust with people being at home, sitting around thinking, hey, you know, it's, maybe it's time to replace that sofa uh, or, or do other kind of home improvements. Um, I think those particular industries, though, are going to get to a point where a lot of that demand that's been driven by COVID is going to slack off. 
um, and slack off for a couple of reasons. One, because some of that pent-up demand uh, has been met. Uh, they've increased their capacity. They're able to meet it. Um, and then you're going to have just a natural drop-off, particularly um, assuming a COVID vaccine becomes available and folks start to tend to migrate back to their older spending patterns um, and, and hopefully folks are able to take vacations or start spending their discretionary money in other ways. Um, and at the same time, absent a fairly robust um, re, you know, second recovery package here supporting a lot of the, the lower middle income type, type folks that, that are going to be struggling to pay their rent, uh, struggling to pay their medical bills, a lot of their discretionary money is going to go away. And ultimately, I think that's, that's definitely going to have an impact on a number of industries um, and folks that either aren't prepared to absorb that slowdown and the ones that are going well may find themselves in a position where they need to uh, combine or maybe sell, um, as well as those industries that are just really taking a long time to come out of it. And if the COVID virus doesn't take effect in the manner that they think it will or in a timely way, I think you're going to continue to see a number of businesses struggling to 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 make it, whether or not it's uh, all the hardest hit ones, the, the restaurants, the 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 social entertainment areas um, by that uh, you know, movie theaters or or other other businesses that rely upon um, the entertainment from being driven by sporting events, anything where they're kind of crowd based businesses, uh, those businesses are going to go away if they're not able to sell. So. Um, you know, the COVID vaccine is going to be a big benefit, especially if it can get out there and it is accepted and people, again, can get back to their kind of normalized spending patterns. But I do think that there are going to be some businesses that just can't afford to wait that out. Uh, and there are going to be some businesses that are going to feel a feel an impact once those normalized uh, spending patterns do come back. And and uh, if those businesses aren't prepared for that, then, uh, then they themselves could be find themselves in a position where they, they need to sell um, in order to capture the value that maybe they were able to start getting during COVID. Thanks, Brad. I think that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. I think there's going to be some level of unevenness in the in the recovery and to kind of see who are the winners and losers in this, uh, in this uh, kind of situation. So turning a bit to towards the, the foreign landscape, I think it, especially as we think about uh, broader global economy, and I think the M&A as far as it relates to the U.S. market, um, I wanted to kind of start maybe by talking about what was foreshadowing there. So even before the pandemic, before the M&A activity, obviously there was this broader clout of um, the trade war between uh, U.S. and China. I think that was shaping the, the perspectives there. And that would be key, I think, in terms of how that that uh, trade war continues or, I guess, subsides post-election that may impact um, the landscape there. Christina, so let me turn to you and uh, see if you can help us maybe paint a picture of what this landscape looked like and how we may think about it as we approach the election, uh, particularly in terms of China and maybe UK and some of the larger um, internal actions that are happening there. Sure. So I think I'm just gonna paint a very broad picture. So let's let's kind of consider a very like various scenarios here. I think we already touched a little bit on different, um, you know, potential outcomes. So if the in the event of Trump victory, the Congress is likely to remain split. So um, in this case, most likely, the, you you would, we would kind of see the continuation of status quo and will not 
have significant uh, market implications in this case. So I guess in case that Trump wins, we are not going to see a lot of, you know, uh, differences in terms of what's going on geopolitically right now, right? So a Biden win would, would um, lead to meaningful changes. So if the White House would be controlled by a different type of president than it's today. So obviously Biden is less erratic and more predictable style. Um, and, you know, it would definitely lead to a little bit of a, you know, more friendlier relationship definitely with China, as he uh, spoke about it multiple times, and uh, potentially um, other countries. Because Biden is, um, historically, he's an old school politician. He's probably naturally more aligned to, to your, uh, towards Europe here. Out of these three scenarios that we considered, it is a Biden win and simultaneous uh, blue swing that would represent the most meaningful market impact in the long term. So and if we focus on this particular scenario, since this is the, the most impact here, from corporate perspective, very broadly, uh, I think higher tax rates would lead to lower after-tax cash flows, which would reduce U.S. buyers' ability to pay. So from the market, M&A market perspective, U.S. corporates, you know, buyers would just literally have uh, less cash to uh, bid for European uh, companies, right? They would also reduce the U.S. seller valuation, if you think about, again, from the cash flow perspective. And also, broadly speaking, increase in the U.S. corporate tax rate would also uh, lead potentially to more tax-efficient structural alternatives, such as spin-offs and joint ventures, and all the things will become potentially more attractive. But and generally speaking, I think in the short term, even if the Biden wins, uh, everything will be put a little bit on hold because people will just kind of wait and see which of his policies will be implemented and what would potentially go into the long term um, type of phase. Right. So the incremental impact would be most felt in the long term here. Thanks, Christina. Maybe one thought on that. I think obviously. I think uh, the the current U.S. administration is favorable of Brexit, and I think that may be one area that gets uh, reshaped significantly if uh, the outcome here results in a different administration, where uh, you know UK would be pushed to maybe act slightly differently uh, in terms of how it's taking um, its path to exit from Europe. And maybe that's going to result in a different set of deals, uh, potentially with UK. Obviously, I think in... in um, UK, there is been a much more uh, deeper impact, not just because of COVID, but also because of the broader Brexit-related efforts. Um, so I think that would be kind of interesting to see how that uh, that city comes back. So maybe the last question here, Christina. So I think as we think about a post-COVID world, how do you think U.S. Uh, landscape, especially from an M&A perspective, would reshape? particularly looking at how aggressive China has been with M&A in the recent past. Do you think uh, U.S. would uh, be positioned to come back and, you know, start to compete again more effectively against China in that space? Yeah, thanks, Max. I don't know if they are really competing in that space. I don't think this will marginally be impacted by, you know, any short-term developments. I just think China will continue momentum and obviously the growth is slowing down, but will still be more... Well, actually, I don't know if it will be more acquisitive, but definitely will be... Um, continuing the M&A momentum here. 
I guess the key, and as well as U.S., I wouldn't say that U.S. was, you know, really behind it, just a matter of relative size here, but not the, you know, absolute number of deals. Because uh, U.S. has been really pretty active. I think in, in terms of number of deals and volume, U.S. is doing pretty um, well on MNA front. Uh, but I guess the, the key question here is the dynamics between U.S. and China and, you know, the potential to outsource certain operations to China, you know, and um, things like that. And Biden obviously could, you know, soften the trade war, could be positive for uh, the manufacturing, outsourcing capabilities and things like that. So I wouldn't really compare um, U.S. and China and who kind of does more deals. They're just two different countries and I wouldn't really think about it that way. Thanks, Christina. As we are coming close to the end, uh, I wanted to just get some closing thoughts. Maybe I'll start with you, Brad. Sure. Um, I think like uh, most of the uh, most of the country, uh, you know, we're we're very anxious to see how this plays out. I think uh, folks are, are are suffering from from election trauma, uh, given given how um, ad, adver- adversarial it's been um, over the past few months. Um, not to mention the added stress of COVID. Um, I do think um, a lot of the overall impact to the M and A environment will 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 revolve around the election. Uh, I do think the the impact of COVID is, is still a big unknown, especially given the fact that you know we don't have a virus identified or a, a vaccine identified yet. Uh, we don't know how effective the vaccine will be. We don't know. The acceptance level of, of folks uh, when the vaccine does get out there. So um, I, I personally think that there's going to be some some turmoil in the markets um, based off of all the uncertainty around all that. Um, ideally, um, whatever administration is in office will we'll be able to provide some stability to that and provide some guidance and direction to allow the economy uh, to, to remain relatively stable. Um, but I do think, you know, as always, there's always M&A opportunities. Um, you know, I think with the uh, interest rate environment the way it is now, uh, I think that is going to continue to be a bit of a, a buffer or a bit of a safety net uh, in regards to availability capital for, fit, for folks to get things done. Uh, so I think that's going to, to aid in the overall M&A environment. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting 2021 Hopefully it won't be as uh, tumultuous as 2020 has been. Um, but uh, again, there's always opportunities out there. Uh, it just may take a little while for, for folks to identify them and be able to take advantage of them. Great. Thanks, Brad. Christina, any other closing thoughts from you? Uh, well, it's hard to add anything to what Brad just said. I, <laughs> I just want to say that I'm really excited for the future. Let's see what it brings. And uh Thank you for the interesting conversation, everyone. Great. So maybe I think that's terrific. Uh, I echo a lot of what you said. I think there's uh, going to be likely some level of uncertainty here in the next few weeks, potentially. But um, I do expect, I think we'll get past that, that it's going to be more more consistency. And that's what the broader economy needs. So based on that, I, I think just in general, uh, once we get back to a level of semblance in the next four years become more predictable, I think the business and the M&A activity, I expect, will come back to a kind of a new normal uh, life set. 
And with that, we have come to the end of our podcast. A big thank you to Brad, Christina, and Anton for sharing your perspectives. We have definitely got some interesting days ahead. And a shout out to Anton, Will, and Vedika for helping us put this podcast together. And a big thank you to all of our listeners out there. Here's the Deal on M&A is an independent educational podcast series focused on providing listeners with information surrounding the forces that shape the deal-making landscape. It is an unsponsored podcast, and as such, all thoughts and opinions reflected in this podcast are attributed to the individual speaker only. This podcast is made possible by the amazing team that has helped us direct and produce it. Our sincere thanks goes out to the executive producers, Anton Rasatkin and Will Hapman, along with Vedika Bhatia and all the other industry professionals who have participated in this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening.